This is your last chance to enter the Ohio Lottery's Fun Turns 50 promotion. Score $3,500 in two tickets to the epic party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where you could win part of another $400,000 in cash prizes. Enter the new 50th anniversary scratch-off or $50 worth of eligible non-winning $5 or $10 scratch-offs and my lotto rewards through the Ohio Lottery app. Hurry up. The last entry deadline is May 13th. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, y'all, if you've been following us on social, then you might have seen some pretty big news. If not, we are very, 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 very excited to announce that the Nod podcast is going to be adapted as a new show with the streaming network Quibi. That's right. Not too long from now, you will be able to watch the Nod in living color. Now, we know y'all have questions, and we'll have more info on what this means for the podcast very soon. But in the meantime, follow us on social to get the latest. If you aren't already following, we are at The Nod Show on Twitter. So we are sadly off this week, but we didn't want to leave y'all in the lurch. So today we're going to rerun one of my favorite episodes of all time, an oral history of Nuck If You Buck. In this episode, Nod producer Wallace Matt gets the story behind one of the greatest party anthems of all time, straight from the people that created it. So without further ado, here's an oral history of Nuck If You Buck. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a podcast about Black culture. I'm Eric Eddings. And I am Brittany Luce. All right. We have somebody join us in the studio. Yes, we do. Yes, one of our producers, yes. Wallace Mack, is going to tell us a story today. A.K.A. Mack, the Mack, Mack Attack. <laughs> Return of the Mack. Return of the Mack. You know? It's really just Mack. Yeah. My understanding is you got something that is hot fire, as Dylan would say. Yes. I have something on my heart, guys. Okay. Okay. Testify. I'm here today to talk to you guys about a song that I love. Yeah. There's this song that came out around 2004, mm-hmm. and it was made by a group of kids from the outskirts of Atlanta. Mm. The name of the song is Nuck If You Buck. Okay. God. And the kids that made it are Crime Mob. Yes. I'm ready. <laughs> Should I stand on the table? I, I mean, all right. We'll let you get on the table. I'm about Who? to cue the song up real quick. Cause no. We need to listen to it. Let's do it. We need, okay. to, we need to hear it. Like, like, listen to this. Listen to like this aggression. It's just there's something about this assertiveness and like they're so sure of themselves and it's it's like the definition of say it with your chest. Exactly. I remember the first time I heard Nuck If You Buck, it was just like an energy about the song that I don't think I ever heard before. Mm-hmm. And it's one of, it's that energy that comes back every time I hear mm-hmm. it. But, you know, I don't think that there's anybody that could describe it better than Lil J, 
The Lil J. Lil J on the track. Lil J on the track, nigga. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Lil J himself, Lil J, member of Crime Mob and the main producer in Crime Mob, told me about what it was like in the early days when they would go out and perform the song. And I'm going to just let him tell y'all what he said. Okay. Man, it's a fight every time that song come on. Every time Nuck If You Buck come on, it's a fight. Security got to tool up, mount up. Because somebody getting their ass whooped that night. Straight like that. That was such a good time. Like, when this song was out, it oh was. My God. If I feel like it was like the prime of my life, which is why. Back. <laughs> listen, you, man. You got good things to come. <laughs> no, listen, I, y'all, I loved high school. I loved middle school so much. And I, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that you're super young, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're like dealing with all these feelings. I'm going to call it angst. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, is important because when people talk about angst, they don't ever associate that as, like, a thing that black kids have. That's real. That is very yeah. real. And I feel like if there's any group of kids in America to have angst, it would certainly it, mm, almost be us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got a few things to be, you know, to feel so some long, type of way so I got to write angsty about. To be mad. And I feel like what this song did was it really perfectly captured what I feel like a lot of black kids who grew up in areas like mine were feeling at that time trapped. Like, you, mm, you're, you're yeah. feeling trapped. And I feel like to give kids, to give me at that time in my life that kind of power was really important. So I go out into the world. I go to mm-hmm. college. But this song keeps coming up. Sororities and fraternities Every, yeah. are stepping to it, you know, I'm seeing the way people react to the song every time it mm. comes on. It doesn't matter if you're in a student union <laughs> or, or, or a club. You just at it home. doesn't matter. It, the student union will turn into a club, a club right? when you play this song. <laughs> and you know, it's like it's crazy because in that moment you're seeing catharsis happening in in real time, and you're watching everybody, and everybody's just kind of like feeling it, and they're rapping along with the music. Mm. And I don't know, it's just in that moment, it's like it's crazy. Like, dang, I'm realizing myself, like this is a song that's not just big in my hometown, right? Yeah. Like, I even mm-hmm. I think about it, like this is a song that got so big that it became like a protest anthem. <laughs> Like, people are literally standing outside of Trump Tower, like, yelling, fuck Donald Trump to the tune <laughs> of Nuck If You Buck, right? Like, that's crazy. Like, marching bands are playing it all the time, halftime, zero quarter. It doesn't matter. You hearing Nuck If You Buck at every home game, whatever it is. So at this point in time, Nuck If You Buck is a part of American culture. It mm-hmm. is. So... I talked to Lil J, as you guys heard earlier. Yes. Yeah. But I also talked to a bunch of other people, i.e. other members of Crime Mob. Thank <laughs> God. And I talked to them about <laughs> how this song pretty much turned them from being just high school kids into rap legends. Facts. And I'm just going to let them tell it to y'all in their own words. So, this is The Nod's first ever Oral history. All right. And what that means is you will mostly hear from other people from this point, but I'll come back every once in a while. I'm ready. My body is ready. I'm ready. (laughs) I like the streets have been waiting for this for a long time. They're hungry. Tell the streets I'm here. (laughs) 
Me and Jay are military brats. This is Princess, Lil Jay's sister. When we first moved to America, we stayed in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, very small. Um, and it was in the hood. And if we would have stayed over there, we really would have been ratchet. But we moved to Ellenwood and had a new experience. It started with Chapel Hill Elementary. Um, best decision that my parents could have made because fourth and fifth grade, I had the same teacher and we read every Shakespeare play. Sixth grade was another good teacher. Um, we were doing uh, Canterbury Tales. I do remember, this is how good my memory is though. I still remember that poem. Like here, here we go. <clears throat> One dollar prayer with the sure suit that a root of much is pressed into the root and bother their vein and switch the core with virtue and gender is the four. When Zephyr seek with his sweet tea breath, inspired how to hold and heave the Chapel Hill Middle School for seventh grade. Here's Lil Jay again. Um, and it was it was the same thing every day. Like it was fights and like um it was just a ruckus fucking crowd, man, like every fucking day. But me, I used to hang out with I used to hang out with the rappers. So I would be beaten on the uh, bleachers and shit, or in the, on the in the locker room with two pencils in my hand. You know what I'm saying? When he was in middle school, I was still in elementary school. So he would come home like, "Oh, I made a beat. I made it different. I hit him with the knuckles, and I hit him with the pencils. I brought it back. Hit him with the knuckles again. And brought it back. Switch the pencils. And I'm like, "Oh, you hit him. Ooh. All the rappers would come around me, and they'll freestyle. They'll freestyle in front of me, and I'm beating on the table." Oh, we'll do that shit in class. Like, fuck it. Like, you know, shit, we got a little break. I get me two pans or two pencils, and I be on the table. So that was a like a, that that was an everyday thing. He would rap, and he would leave the papers around the house. My mom, of course, was not supporting rap, so uh, she would throw it away. Me having a great memory. He would tell me the rap one time, and I could remember most of it. So he'd be like, Nene, what was that rap I said? And I'm like, well, it's the L-I-double-T-L-E. And then J, because you know me, coming with the T-H-C-A-N-I-N-E. And then he would he would follow it up. He'd be like, oh, yeah, I said this. And I'm like, yeah, and then you said, da 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 got my bomb and my gun, and we blowing you up, da 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 you know, as violent as we were back then. <laughs> Stabbing and blowing people up with M16s and rifles. During those days, niggas used to do a lot of robbing and, <clears throat> and thieving and doing all that shit, like some hot shit, you feel me? But we kind of connected on some music shit, you feel what I'm saying? It's like, damn, he rapped. We got something going on. We already a click. We already from Ellenwood. So bam, man, let's 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 start a group. We had a whole list of names. It was this, this name, that name, that name, that name. We circled crime up. Cause we was doing crime and we was a big ass fucking mob. Crime up. That's what it is. So I used to have a studio at my mama's house. I would be writing songs, like I'd be writing hooks and making beats and stuff. This is how Princess got in the group. Growing up, when he did baseball, I did baseball. When he did karate, I did karate. When he started basketball, I started basketball. You know, everything he did, I did. So when he started rapping, I was like, okay, we're we rappers now. <laughs> 
That's what we doing. Like, it's fine. I'm like, Nene, come downstairs. You know, I got a rhyme for you. Spit this rhyme. So she spit it flawlessly. You know what I'm saying? She spit it. I burned the CD. I let the hood hear it. They're like, man, who that chick on the um seat to the altar down in me? I said, that's my sister. That's Nene. Damn. Once I saw people's reaction to what they were saying, what my brother was saying, once I really saw the reaction from him, I was like, oh, it's possible. So then, here come Diamond. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Diamond, a.k.a. Miss 32 Flavors. Can I light my blunt up on this one? This is Diamond, and by the way, I told her she could definitely light up that blunt. Back when Diamond was a kid, she lived across the street from Lil' J and Princess. I remember um, meeting Lil' J. Me and my friend were walking, and we were like, there's a lot of y'all guys outside. What y'all doing? And it was like, shit, we rap. Man, we rapping. And I was like, what? Y'all rap? Y'all rap? I was like, yeah, we in here rapping. And I was like, well, shoot, I rap too. too. Yeah, little Jay was like, you know, let me hear some music or whatever. And then he was like, um, you and my sister going to be in the group because it's too many guys in the group already. Diamond was a, she was a cheerleader. My princess was on a basketball team. So, you know, they was, they was cool you know what i'm saying it was like kind of like best friends or whatever so that was a perfect fit for her to have another female that she could bond with how did nook if you buck come about everybody wanted to know all right summer 2002 i'm finna go to six flags shit before then it was a big ass party at my mama house a uh, L-Town nigga got his ass whooped, man. It was crazy. It was like 50 Ellawood niggas versus like five L-Town niggas. All them niggas got their ass whooped, but this one nigga got his ass really whooped. <laughs> but Nuggery Buck came, it started with the beat. No, no, no. Yeah, it started with the beat. Summer 2002, I made the beat. And in my mind, I'm imagining that fucking fight that happened at my mama house. Like, damn, this nigga got his ass whooped. It's like one street light on. And I think about that bell. That's where that bell came from, from that fucking streetlight. You know what I'm talking about? And, um, you know what I'm saying? So I made the beat. The beat was inspired by Oont Camp, my homeboy Doc Jam, Pastor Troy, no more playing GA. It was inspired by that kind of energy. Them, them snares in there, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So the beat, bam, that's done. Damn, we need a hook. So my partner's uh, Psycho Black from Crime Mob and uh, Big Man. Nook if you butt, nigga. Nook if you butt, nigga. Nook if you butt, nigga. I said, man, no, 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 no. That don't sound right, man. I said, change it to boy. I said, never mind, i do it. Nook if you butt, boy. Nook if you butt, boy. I said, all right, bam, we got the hook. I ain't put the hook with the beat yet. I'm trying it out with all other kind of beats. That didn't work. That didn't work. I said, let me make this beat. Let me, let me put this beat. The beat I made before I went to six flat. Bam, put that hook with that beat. Nook, if you pub. Bam. I said, that's it right there. That's it. Bam. I put my verse on there. Did my thing for the girls. They verse on there. 
Yeah, we knocking and bucking and ready to fight. I bet you I'ma throw them things on haters, best if they fight. See me, y'all ain't nothing nice. And club, I beat ain't no stopping. Becky, like, say, that was ain't yellow. And that's My dad bought a goddamn CD burner for the computer. You know what I'm saying? And now we got the opportunity to let everybody in the world hear our shit. Because you got to understand, y'all, it wasn't no MySpace back in the day. It wasn't no Facebook. It wasn't no Instagram. It wasn't no SoundCloud. It wasn't none of that shit. So we knew what time it was when we started burning them CDs, and we were selling them CDs like crack. Back then, you had to give it to the streets first, the hood first. And if they didn't dig that shit, then you weren't going to get no deal. And the radio definitely ain't going to pick you up. Our first version that was played wasn't mixed. It damn sure wasn't mastered. (laughs) So much so that you could hear the garage door coming up in the background (laughs) in the audio. You can hear my mom talking. You can hear her heels clacking. It was so crazy, but that's how crazy the demand for the song was because the demand was way higher that they couldn't find a version <laughs> suitable for radio. And they still played it. That's unheard of. The radio Nucky Few Buck experience wasn't like it is on TV, where you're driving somewhere and it just magically comes on and everybody just screams. <laughs> um, I remember us all being on three-way. <laughs> it was only house phones, really. So it was, okay, hang up, call call Jock. Okay, Jock on the phone. Hey, okay, Jock, you call Psycho. Okay, Psycho. Okay, Psycho, you call Diamond. Diamond. Okay, all right. I'm on the phone with this chick. She like, Lil' Jay, your song on the radio. I said, bullshit, man. My song ain't on no damn radio. Good plan. Nah, for real, your song on the radio. She put the phone by the speaker. I hung up the phone, ran upstairs. Put it on, you know, the three. I said, mama, we on the radio. Oh, shit. <laughs> she didn't approve of me and Princess cussing at all. Because we some Christians, you feel me? I'll never forget the look on my mama's face when she heard the shit that I was doing in her room. Nas on the radio. My mama felt like these little badass little motherfuckers cussing in my guest bedroom that made a song and now it's on the radio. <laughs> now mama got to go to the store, buy groceries, and hear the song. Now she got to be on her way to church, be at a red light, she hear the song. <laughs> this is your Phillips. I'm a music journalist my parents on the skating rink in Atlanta. All the music I heard was at the skating rink. So the first time I heard Nuck If You Book was at the rink. And I can still recall, like, that energy. They run, literally run around the perimeter of the skate floor, uh, pounding their fists into their hands. Like, that was the way the teenagers would react to the song as like like a war cry. Like it felt like gladiator music when Duck a few buck came on. 
kids would do stuff and fight and be like, they don't know an article. They don't know what came over them. They was listening to our lyrics. Just the 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 spiritual, the cultural impact that we could, we had on a room, how we could just shift the energy of a room. It was scary. It was like literally everyone knew if it's somebody you beefing with, when that song come on, put your back against the wall. Security knew, all right, let's beef up because it's going to be some fight. I think violence played a part in us growing up just because that was what we saw at that time. So we, as music should be, you take in what's around you and you document it. That's what classic songs are. People felt like, well, shit, this bitch stepped on my toe tonight. So when goddamn look if you book, come on, I'm going to find my way. Or this bitch took my baby daddy. So when goddamn look if you book, come on, I'm going to accidentally blow that bitch. And that's going to be a reason I'm going to punch you in her face. You know what I'm saying? You got to think you're of that age where you just got all this energy. You happy, you angry, you sad, you're figuring yourself out, you know, going through life, going through puberty. It's just everything all at once. It's just a beautiful thing. It's so many different emotions all wrapped up into one. Cry Mob was experiencing all of the emotions that come with growing up, the same ones their young fans were experiencing. And as the group is taking off, they're feeling the high of being teen stars, especially when it was time to sign their first major record deal. Signing the deal in 2003 when you're 17, 18 years old feels better than busting a nut. It feels better than sex. I'm trying to tell you. Everything started happening so fast. It's like, wow. Now we're doing photo shoots. Now we're shooting videos. Like, it's a real video. Like, wow. We got cameras and trailers and makeup artists. And I'm 18. I just had a prom yesterday. The next day, we did our cover shoot. <laughs> the very next day. And then, look, months later, you on 106 Park. The old shit moment for me was when the Jay-Z and Friends tour hit. We walking around and somebody's running. He was like, are you guys crying up? Yes. Diddy wants y'all to, uh, Diddy wants to bring y'all out. And we were like, oh, we could do that. So that was my, that was my real old shit moment. Like, man, this is really a big song. Crime Up was probably like at the height around like 2004. Here's Yo again. He's the music journalist. You hear Crime Up at every party. You hear him at every club. Like it doesn't matter where you go, that song's there. They caught a classic early. Was I worried about everything happening fast? Yes, I was. Coming up after the break, fame big-ass egos, and bad contracts. My mom actually, to this day, says that she had a crazy feeling and didn't want to sign the papers, but she felt like we would hate her for the rest of our lives. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So last thing you heard, Crime Mob had made it big. They're making TV appearances, they're hanging out with hip-hop stars, and they're on the road. I'm talking traveling from Georgia to Mississippi and Florida, nonstop. So it feels like they're making it big, but they're missing one thing, money. When we started, we wasn't making any money. After we got signed, we weren't making any money. Um, Our advance which everybody usually say they finna get signed and buy them on my house and a car and do all and jewelry. Uh, we got $1,000 each in cash. We wasn't getting none of our publishing or royalties. We didn't know about it. I mean, we didn't know about publishing or royalties. Not in high school. I mean, shit. Uh, two phones and a free apartment. And when you're on the radio and you're popping in the city... Everything look good, and you hope that this person that you put your trust into, they can have they can have uh, your career and your and their and everybody's best interest. But that wasn't the case with Crime Mob. My name Johnny Cabell, and I was the manager for Crime Mob. Johnny was actually their second manager. They had this manager that was there right before me. His name was Serious. I am Lee God, serious Lord, Tommy Phillips. I will not give my social security number. I signed Crime Mob 2003 through a short form exclusive recording agreement. I signed in March 29, 2004 to Warner Brothers to a long term exclusive agreement distributed by Warner Brothers. He was a nightmare for everybody. I'm an honorable man, feel me? I signed contracts, I lived up to the contract. I haven't I haven't differed from the contract. I haven't broke the contract. There's no breach from me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't do shit. I mean, this man was just ferocious. Like he like he was stealing money from the group. He he was just someone that made your life a living hell. When Crime Mob thought that Sirius was holding back their share of the money, they attempted to get rid of him and make Johnny their new manager. So Sirius took them all to court, saying that this was a violation of their contract with him. You know, the court of public opinion is my bitch at this point because I've been to court. He was like Satan in the flesh. You got to go back to the disgruntled people and why they were unhappy. Like at any point, did somebody say they were unhappy? I don't know. It wasn't me. I didn't. I've been happy. Sirius is crazy as hell. He knew damn well, even when we found out about them contracts being messed up, we requested a copy of the contract. He gonna black out most of the parts that are fucked up in the contract. My signature is on the Warner Brothers contract. Crime Mob never signed to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers gave me a recording label deal, and then I signed Crime Mob to my company. My, I mean, the contract is there to be read. We weren't getting our royalties and a lot of advancements, monies that was cut. That the label had to give it to him because 
you know, legally that was what was on paper. My shit is airtight, stone. Because, I mean, I've been to court. So any speculation or prejudgment about what could have happened, should have, maybe, I mean, that's that shit got handled in court. And somebody won. You. Ooh. You did. Ooh-hoo. And 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 that's Ooh. what that's what I wanted Ooh-hoo. to. That's, you know, you got to think that you know that owl is a real thing, man. I'm just saying, somebody won. I think he initially meant well, but people, some people, can't handle fame and success and money. Everybody is built different. Sirius and Crime Mob hashed it out in court for a number of years, but eventually, the group started to get paid. The more money we made, the crazier the relationship got. Because they would fly me out to big meetings and uh, making group decisions, and they weren't there. There was somewhat of a problem because Lil J was always a bigger part of the money because he produced majority of the music. A lot of the other members in the group, they didn't understand the breakdown Once the money started coming in, bro, like, it's like, I, damn, all right, check, check it out. How many songs on the album? 12, 13. Who's the producer? LeJay, how much percentage of the song does the producer get? 50%? Well, the producer is on 80% of the song. So that means the producer is going to get most of the money. So there's a few things starting to happen here. The group starts arguing about how Jay seems to be more favored by the label and is making more money. And as Crime Mob's fame grew, certain members became more popular with fans. And things started getting tense. I started to get more requests and more attention. Here's Diamond again. More bookings. Certain magazines would highlight me and put me in their magazine and say me from Crime Mob, but would not highlight them. So it started to affect us. We would take pictures, go on red carpets, and, or interview people who want to ask me more questions or fans that want to speak to me. So I was nominated for Dirty Chick of the Year. The Dirty Awards was a big award show in Atlanta, and Diamond had been nominated for the 2007 Dirty Chick of the Year Award. She told Crime Mob's manager, Johnny, that she was going to walk the red carpet with her boyfriend at the time, Lil Scrappy. That's when Johnny was like, well, the group said if you don't walk, walk with them, then you ain't in the group. And I was like, what? So Diamond decided to do what she wanted to do. And she walked with Scrappy, despite Johnny's threat. Crime Mob had got there before me. And I think MBT asked me, how does it feel to no longer be a member of Crime Mob? Now, earlier we talked to Princess, uh-huh. and she said that you're no longer part of the group. What's going on? I was like, what? And they had, they was like, oh, yeah, they just, they just left her doing an interview. So I was like, oh, y'all want to play like that? And that's when I kind of got angry. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to finish the rest of my interview telling everybody I'm solo. solo thing going on, you know? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Diamond is definitely doing an album coming out at the top of the year. We don't have a title for it yet, but just be on the lookout for it. Diamond was no longer a member of Crime Mob. And the rest of the group was starting to get burnt out. They wanted to take a break. Because Johnny was booking them like crazy. I had so much energy at that time because I was so excited to be in the music industry that I was literally 
working the shit out of them kids. When you get a deal or you be hot, you got to leave home from Thursday to Sunday. So you only got three days to yourself in Atlanta. And in them three days, you probably don't see mom and dad. You don't get no home-cooked meal. I've always been the mama. Anybody would tell you. I used to (laughs) keep carpet freshener with me, and I would freshen everybody's room before they get in there. Like, okay, it's ready. Come in. All of the boys smoked. Back then, I didn't smoke. I would just, I would have my wine cooler and my books. (laughs) Shout out to Zane. All of the Zane books got me through. We used to be on the road so much that they literally start crying to their parents. Like, please tell Johnny just to give us one month off, you know. And I told I said, listen, y'all take this break. Ain't no coming back. I just want you to know. Y'all take this break. It ain't no coming back. I just, I just feel it. They took that break. And to this day, it has never been the same. If you think about it, uh, Nuck If You Buck is like the last great Crunk song that we got. You know, Crunk kind of had like this little run, but Nuck If You Buck is just like peak Crunk music. This is peak Crunk music. But once you hit peak and that whole moment dies and that whole movement dies, you are going to either catch a wave and make it huge or you'll catch one and struggle to catch another one. After 2007, the streets really never got another full project from Cry Mom. But the legacy of Nuck If You Buck, that's secure. I'm proud to say we're the youngest OGs. We're the youngest group in the foundation of Atlanta. So we were 15 being looked at as, you know, those just the little kids. Now we're the youngest legends. (laughs) If we decide not to do nothing else, we've done enough that is still living on today and and influencing others for more generations to come. That legacy, as far as Atlanta alone, like, shit, man, one of the crunkest songs or the best songs to ever come out of the city of Atlanta hardest club songs, period. And you talking about JD, Lil Jon, T.I., Kilo, Outkast, Luda, Crime Mob up in that top 10. The legacy of Nuck If You Buck, Nuck If You Buck has to be in the discussion as one of the greatest club records we've ever uh, been able to to hear in spaces full of people. It's for, it's for the community, it's for skating rinks, it's for parties, it's for barbecues. It's that record that you hear in spaces full of, full of faces. It's like a cultural memory. That like when you hear it or when someone says it, it sends you back to a certain time period, sends you back to a certain year. And I think when your song is able to do that, it elevates beyond being timely and becomes timeless. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Look, y'all, I don't care if this is the first time you've heard of Nuck If You Buck or if you are a lifelong fan. You need to know that there is so much funny Nuck If You Buck related content on the web. And this week, we have rounded up the best of the best of it just for you in our weekly newsletter. Sign up at gimletmedia.com slash The Nod. The Nod is produced by me, Brittany Luce, with Eric Eddings, Kate Parkinson Morgan, and Wallace Mack. Our senior producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. We are edited by Emmanuel Barry and Jorge Just. Fact-checking by Max Gibson. Big thank you to Bobby Lord for helping us recreate that amazing pencil beat. This week's episode was scored by Cedric Wilson, Jupiter, Centric, and Jaybird Blonde. Engineering this week from Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. Hold up. 